This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. You know, there are some artists who decided a long time ago in their development that their art wasn't the only thing that they were going to focus on. Many have been gifted with the ability to think beyond their talent and develop a business sense and a production prowess that not only enhances and broadens their own work, but proves that they are businessmen and women out there right now to help our field in the arts. During the pandemic, it has been essential for artists to promote themselves and the future of the arts, of course. And to accomplish it means that we all have to diversify, and we all need to be ready as artists to be able to do that. Some aren't. But my guest today is one of those people. And the interesting point that I'd like to make right now is that she's been diversifying even before COVID-19 set in. Jessica Fischenfeld is a singer and actor that you can't hold down. I first heard her on stage at Palm Beach Opera. She was a pistol then, and she's a pistol now. I've watched her important rise in the, in the performance world, not only because of her fabulous voice, but because she is using her entrepreneurial skills now to build something for herself and strengthen the state of the arts. Opera News and Opera Wire have referred to her voice as a clean coloratura and spunky personality. And you will see that firsthand now in this Zoom interview. We've just heard her in the opening intro with her wonderful live recording of Bernstein's Glitter and Be Gay, and indeed she is. So I'm going to give Jessica Fischenfeld the name of the Diplomat of Divas. So without further ado, let's welcome Jessica into this conversation. Welcome to Center Stage. I'm thrilled to have you, my dear. Hi, Pamela. Wow, what an intro. I, I'm humbled. <laughs> well, that, now that's simple. As my intros go, that's pretty simple, but it's true. I mean, don't you think Diplomat of Divas serves you well? I absolutely love that. I love, you know, what, one of the things I'm always surprised if to hear when people are, are intimidated by me. I, I heard that from a couple of people and I always think I am the most approachable person in the world. <laughs> I, I don't care if I have major successes everywhere, which has, you know, yet to come, but, <laughs> but I, I don't think I will ever change the kind of person that I am. Oh, I hope not. You are not intimidating at all. <laughs> In fact, do you remember um, when COVID first started, I actually asked you for a statement on yeah. the nature of the arts. I, I think I had Kirsten Scott on from Bear Opera, and we were discussing this very important topic of artist relief and the funds you were all trying to raise. And you actually came forward and wrote the most eloquent and beautiful testimonial to being an artist and how we all have to help each other. But the best thing that you said, the most wonderful thing you said in that testimonial was, you can't keep an artist down. You know, if, if take away their stage and they'll find another way to perform, not only for their audiences, but for each other. And I'm sure that's how you feel right now. Totally. I mean, in so many different ways, this, since the beginning of the pandemic, even, even ever since, since I, gave you that statement, the roads that have, that have taken the, the roads that I have taken since then have just kept spidering out into different 
different manifestations of exactly that. <laughs> well, well, let's start with that. So, you know, I know that you've been, you've been pretty spunky about developing a business sense all along the way. But when the pandemic first hit, and you were really on a high, I mean, you, you've been premiering a lot of um, contemporary works, both in opera and, and in song. Your, your work with the librettist Mark Campbell, very important. Um, you're out there. You're really out there in every possible way. How did, how did the COVID pandemic strike you? I mean, what was your gut reaction when everything was suddenly stopped? Well, I think like many artists, this many people felt like 2020 was going to be their year. Mm-hmm. I finally, I signed with new management who um, UIA represents me for both for opera, musical theater and film and television. And so it's kind of this perfect storm of I had this new manager. We had some momentum. I made my off-Broadway debut with on-site operas, production of Das Barbecue. I was starting to do more auditions for film and television. I had all these things lined up that I was so excited about. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it was a complete stop. And mm-hmm. it felt like for the first time in a while, I was getting some exciting momentum. And then all of a sudden, it was just nothing. And but I didn't really spend much time grieving because I, I took that energy and I started creating things on my own with, with video production. And I made a music video about, it was a parody music video about how artists are dealing with this right now. It was called where the gigs, where the gigs in America taken Mm -hmm. from we're the kids in America. (laughs) And so I just took it as I tried to see the silver lining and tell myself that this is the time to do everything that has been on the back burner that I've always wanted to do that I've just never had time for because just going from gig to gig and learning new music because the contract was coming up rather than learning things because I just wanted to and producing things that I just wanted to produce. Um, it was always on the back burner. And so now is the time, right? <laughs> now is the time. And I've seen some of these videos you've made. They're fantastic. Your comedy talent is Fantastic. I mean, it's right up there with Carol Burnett, you know, you have that, you have that kind of edgy, uh, you know, timing thing that's so fantastic. I I just want to say, let's let it go down for the record right now that when you're, when we come out of this, you're famous in Hollywood and you're starring in a new comedy series. Just, just remember us, will you? (laughs) Oh, you bet I will. And if, if that happens, I'll, I'll bring you on my show. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> I would love that. Oh my, I'm sure you'll be there because you're going to make this happen. But let, let's talk about the ways that you've coped with this and the ways you've made it happen. I mean, besides this, this online presence where, where you've actually been out performing on the street and you've been doing these wonderful uh, alive and kicking um, yeah. you're drawing interest into American contemporary uh, opera and pieces, which I think is fantastic. I mean, you're really taking a mix of the arts and actually kind of shaking it up and going, okay, this is where we are right now, folks. Wake up. Am I right? Exactly. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, help take opera into our contemporary world because so much of it is unappreciated by the general public because they just have this, this, the old stereotypes and notions that it's this archaic field that is resistant to update and it's kind of a museum art form. And 
people have no idea. The lay person that you find on the street or in Ubers, as I, I like to harass people in Ubers, Ubers and tell them about new opera. <laughs> right. uh, they don't even know that opera is in English. <laughs> they just assume it's in it all in Italian. It's just all in Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what people, p- people need to be pushed in front of it, you know, gently coaxed in front of these productions that are not only in their native language, but about things that they care about. You know, I was just in last year. I mean, it feels so recent, but last year, New York city opera, we did Stonewall and that's about super relevant topics about LGBTQ rights. We have, you know, blue about police brutality, just all of these operas that, that should be, well appreciated by in this social climate Mm -hmm. and there's just i'm trying to use my web series alive and kicking to create that bridge for people so that they can just it's just like five minutes you get a little background about the about the piece about the composer about the librettist how they came together and then a little clip of the perform of of like just a little bit of the performance so you're forming that bridge of understanding for everyone that's I, great I, and you I, do it but you do it with this lift and this this typical jessica fishenfield sense of humor that's fantastic thank you the fact oh that God. you recognize that makes me so happy because i i'm trying to just bust open these stereotypes that that opera is stuffy and serious and mm-hmm. i think i personally think there should be more comic opera mm-hmm. i think that would really be more welcoming to the public. I mean, obviously these, these more serious topics are important, but, um, but there can be humor mixed in, even in the serious things. That's one thing that Mark Campbell does so well. He'll take a serious subject and insert little human elements that are humorous in them. And so just to, to highlight things like that, I think the general public can realize, oh, this isn't as foreign as I thought it would be. Yeah, exactly. I know that you've become very close with him, and he really is the librettist of the times, isn't he? I mean, he's Absolutely. written more than, I think, 37 librettists. Yeah, I think he's up to maybe 30. I think he just finished his 39th, I That's think. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And you, you personally had a huge success in Stonewall, from what I understand, and um, kudos to you. Thank you. It was what else, is, what else is cooking back there in the background? Because, you know, I'm talking about you being this entrepreneur of the arts and it's not just alive and kicking. And, and I invite everybody listening out there to, to check her out alive and kicking with Jessica Fischenfeld. And I'm sure we can find that anywhere on YouTube. Is that correct? Yes, Jessica? It is on my YouTube channel on Jekka Fish. <laughs> but if you search the name and my name, you'll, you're sure to find it. Okay. So tell us about your whole fitness regime so this is a bit of a story i'm i'm a certified personal trainer and i came to that sort of a roundabout way where fitness just became a passion of mine and uh, a few years ago i mean maybe 10 years ago by now um and i started off teaching kickboxing classes while i was doing my master's and i realized that fitness was more than just running on a treadmill and it was something that i was actually passionate about and I hopped around from studio to studio with these little boutique fitness, fitness classes with around New York city. And I realized that I didn't really feel comfortable teaching group classes because I had to cater to such a wide variety of people, you know, beginners, experts, one person would always think it was too easy. And one person would always think it was too hard. And so that was sort of frustrating to me. And 
you know, as a performer, you really need a side hustle. Even the most, the high up ones, they're, they're always creating on the side, something else that they're passionate about. And I decided to commit to getting certified as a personal trainer and I've been loving it. And then the COVID hit and some people were asking me, well, why don't you teach something on Instagram live? You know, people are doing classes now. And I said, I'm not a, I'm not a group fitness trainer uh, instructor. I didn't have good success with it. I, I don't feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm performing in a way that doesn't feel like me. Mm-hmm. I was just performing, trying to imitate what I've seen group fitness instructors to be. Mm-hmm. But I figured, okay, I'll do it once and for whoever wants to take it. And I don't know what happened. I think maybe my fitness personality and the knowledge that I gained from being a personal trainer just sort of has been marinating for years. And I was, I absolutely loved it. And it was such a fun experience. And I combined it with crazy outfits and I encouraged people to just be silly in my class and just do whatever they can because the classes are hard, but you know, I don't expect everyone to be able to do everything, but I figure challenge people as much as you can so that the the fittest among us can feel challenged. And then the people who are still in the process of, of strengthening their bodies can take a modification, can do a little bit lower impact, but I wanted the class to be approachable for everybody. And it's sort of an example of what I do one-on-one with people, just, just a little bit broader. <laughs> That is so interesting. So I'm sorry, but my brain is still back on you teaching kickboxing when you were getting your master's. I, I'm still kind of there, Jessica. That's incredible. Good grief. Yeah, I, mean, I would get teased by my classmates for always showing up in my, in my fitness attire. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the kickboxing studio right after studio class. <laughs> so putting everyone in the opera world to shame. I'm sure you're so fit and so, and so many of the rest of us aren't. Um, so how did you get into fitness so much in the beginning? Was that a means of, did you just feel like I don't have enough energy or was it a means of rehab for you initially? Well, actually, um, this is sort of a, a tender subject, but I don't mind. Um, I, I dealt with some eating disorder issues in my undergrad and a lot of women do, you know, mm-hmm. and I grew up thinking that, like I said, fitness being exercise was just running on a treadmill and I absolutely hated running. And so once I discovered this kickboxing class, it was called I love kickboxing.com. That's the actual name of the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did a Groupon and I just loved it. It just lit a fire in me and it woke me up to all the ways that fit all the different forms that fitness could be. And after a while, I I befriended one of the instructors there and, you know, I was sort of a a poor student and she said, you should just work here. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up asking them if they were interested in taking on a new instructor and it was sort of an in-house training process. I didn't, I didn't need to get certified for anything. It was just, they knew that I knew the, the, the class format already and the Mm -hmm. techniques because I had been a member there for a year. And so they just trained me to be an instructor. And I just, that's how I started. (laughs) And and basically just just having that positive relationship with exercise Mm -hmm. transferred over to my positive relationship with food. And it became like, oh, I need to eat because to fuel me. And it's a positive thing. It's not something to be guilty about. And 
it, it totally changed my life. That is such a fantastic testimonial. So actually that must have filtered into every aspect of your life and and especially your music making at that point. And I can imagine, I can imagine the endorphin rush and of course that satisfaction in dealing with food in a completely different way. Instead of eating your feelings, you were actually working through them. That's so healthy. Congratulations to you. So you you talk about the creative aspect in your, in your fitness classes. I mean, with costumes, (laughs) how does this manifest itself? Oh my goodness. I just want to give some people something fun to look at while they're working out because for so many people working out is just such a chore. It's just annoying. People don't want to do it. And so I figure if I throw on a cowboy hat and a, an old jean jacket and some yeah. boots <laughs> and start the workout that way, I eventually have to take it off because it gets in the way. But to just start the class on such a high fun note, yeah. I, I just want to invite people and show them kind of like opera. <laughs> you know, like this isn't that intimidating. This is just us having a good time. And so I, I just like to Make people have a good time. (laughs) That's really what it's about. I love it. So you should be inviting some of your operatic friends, you know, to take on their costumes of Octavian or the Countess or, you know, however, you know, hey, if you can move, it works, right? Yes. In fact, one of Suzanne Vinnick's uh, creations, she made a Cofancho uh, in, in my name. It's called the Jessica Cofancho, and I wore it in two weeks ago at the beginning of my class. Actually, no, it was last week. (laughs) That is simply fantastic. I've got to explain to my listeners that Suzanne Vinnick is a wonderful opera singer herself, but she's actually ventured into costume design and photography. And I'm sure her next step, well, she is already in Los Angeles. So you and she will be waltzing into your new sitcom together. Exactly. Um, (laughs) And you know what? More power to you because... I know I've spoken to Suzanne about this and you and I have spoken about this, that there used to be such a big hang up in the classical music world about anyone venturing out of their discipline. You know, and really, I, I can remember back in the 70s, I date myself terribly now, but, you know, I used to think, why are opera singers so uncool? Why do they have to wear these boring dresses? Why, why do they have to be so deadly serious all the time? You know, why can't... Uh, all of our art should permeate everything we do in a kind of normal way. And I, I remember when, um, for instance, Joshua Bell issued his CD, you know, with no shirt, uh, you know, from the waist up. That was really like the first time I felt that the classical music world actually embraced this whole new beginning. So, mm-hmm. you know, here you are, you're, you're doing your fitness, you're doing Alive and Kicking. And, and you do the Aria Slam, I think it is? Yes, Aria Slams, yes. Tell us about that. So it's a, it's, a, it's a group that I formed totally organically. I was working on some new repertoire, and I was thinking, I'm not in school anymore, so I can't just bring this new repertoire to you know, a studio class and singing in front of my peers to get the jitters out before going out and auditioning with it. Mm-hmm. And so I just wrote a post on Facebook saying, hi friends, anybody want to get together and hire a pianist and just sing our repertoire for each other just to see where it's at? Because there's a big difference between singing your repertoire for your teacher and your coach versus what it's really going to sound like when you just force yourself to do it in an audition. Mm -hmm. And I got so many responses and it started with just a long Facebook message group 
And then eventually I said, okay, everybody, should I just make this into a Facebook group? Because every time I send one message, 30 people get the message and maybe they're not all free. So it turned into a, a Facebook group where I'm, it was a lot of trial and error with how, how to set this whole up, thing up. But everybody contributes $15 towards the accompanist. Everybody gets about 15 minutes to sing because I cap it at eight singers the most for two hours. And it was just, and everybody needed it. It was a, an amazing tool that I didn't realize that everybody needed. And all of a sudden they were super popular. And unfortunately now we can't do them in person, but the silver lining is that I'm able to do these on zoom now for free because everybody just uses their accompaniment that they have a, either a, a pianist record for them or there's a YouTube backtrack or something. So everybody gets to do it for free. And I get to hear people who I wouldn't normally hear in New York because it could be anybody, anybody all over the country, all, all, all over the world. And so oh. we're able to, to connect on zoom for these now. So now, Jessica Fischenfeld, you're, you're enabling everyone out there who uh, literally singers are clawing the walls right now, aren't they? With, with no work, no, no stage in front of them. And yeah. they still need to practice their art. So you're giving them that platform. You yeah, see, and especially people need to practice for this digital era of performance. And so mm -hmm. that was something of particular interest to at least the, the last group of singers that I did an Aria Slam with online because people aren't used to singing in their living room and with a microphone and mm -hmm. to, to try to figure out the distance between it and just getting comfortable with the whole setup because it's a so, whole new game. So how far has, has this stretched to? I mean, have you got people in, in, uh, in Germany and, and Israel, you know, joining in? I mean, it could. We haven't had anybody that far away yet, but one of my good friends who you might remember from Palm Beach also, Danielle McMillan, mm -hmm. uh, she joined us from Canada. So thrilling. it was so special to have her sing. And I just, I'm obsessed with her voice. So <laughs> it was a win-win for me. <laughs> How supportive of you. You see why I called you the diplomat of divas? <laughs> you see this, you've got something else going on here that is, is very, very, very important. And, you know, wow, my heart goes out to you because your heart is reaching out to everyone else. And this is a fantastic thing. So Jessica Fischenfeld, what do you see for yourself for the future? Where, where do you want to go? What do, what do you want out of all of this? Are you an opera singer? Are you going to, you know, hope for Broadway or, or just acting? Gosh, do I have to decide? <laughs> no. no, that's what I like my about hope, you. My hope is to be able to do a little bit of everything and kind of instead of reaching outside of my box to do all these separate things, kind of bring them all together Mm -hmm. My, I, I have, you know, a pipe dream of, like you said, of, of starting some sort of sketch comedy series that includes opera and musical theater and acting and, and something that I can collaborate with like-minded friends and colleagues on. And um, I just, I mean, you know, I love contemporary opera. I hope to be able to do more of that on a bigger scale and, 
and a little TV film action wouldn't hurt. So <laughs> hurt at all. And pretty soon, hopefully, we'll be able to be on planes out to um, you know Hollywood and uh, yeah. And you can visit with Suzanne, Suzanne Vinick while you're out there. I mean, oh, we've had ongoing plan. I'm like, I'm visiting soon. I promise it's going to be soon. And more and more friends keep moving to LA, and so I said, okay, I have to visit as soon as it is safe. <laughs> And in the meantime, are there any recordings coming out of yourself or any any film well, projects? Well, I have one. I can't. I'm. I can't say too much about who's in it. But we were talking about the the Great Equalizer, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of Scott and my good friends is composer John Bucchino, who had a a, a Broadway show um, up in a few years ago, a catered affair. And he's, he's become a collaborator. And so I wanted to put together a virtual performance of one of his songs with him playing the piano and me singing and I would put them together. And, mm-hmm. and I said, John, why don't we do a, a whole evening length of, of your work? So it'd be fun. And I thought it would maybe just be Scott and me and maybe a couple friends, but John being the well-connected Broadway guy he is, mm-hmm. has a bunch of household names on this concert now, and I am the one producing it. And so, (laughs) so that will be sometime in the fall. I'll have to give you an update because we don't have an exact date yet, but that will be a very exciting concert that I already have my piece recorded and Scott and I did a duet. We're, we're done. Our part is done, but the, the more famous people will be rolling in their recordings and sending them to me. And I'm going to put together a whole, a whole concert and it's going to go, Proceeds will go to a, um, a good cause. And so that's something to look forward to. Um, also, we're going to, I don't think many people can see it, but we are part of the um, WSAV's telethon for the Salvation Army. Perhaps they'll be posting it online as well. But Scott, Scott's original song that he wrote for the Savannah Voice Festival, he turned it into a duet. And so they filmed a music video of us walking throughout Savannah and seeing the Savannah sights and, and singing this song. And so that premieres on the 25th. Okay. I'm, I'm blown away. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're the steamroller. I want you now to go out and just have the bumper sticker made diplomat. of D- I, okay? You said it first. I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt. <laughs> the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> You're living up to it, babe. Listen, I want to thank you for being on my show. You you are just a beacon of light and hope. You are. Likewise, ma'am. Just simply that. And and keep working, doing everything you're doing. And we, we will all be watching out and to support you you as you go on your way. So um, it'll affect us all. Jessica Fischenfeld, mm, you are a darling. Good luck. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. All the best in Savannah. Tell, tell Savannah hi for me. And, I will. Uh, and one of these days I hope to visit. So you'll be first. Let me time. know. Okay, I will. No, believe me, I will. <laughs> so to all my listeners, I want you to go to jessicafischenfeld.com for more information about this amazing artist. And if you feel motivated enough, you can visit centerstagewithpamelacoon.com and um, see some of my earlier shows and read my blogs. And don't don't, you know, don't hesitate to contact me. I love to hear from everybody, and I hope you will. And in the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Thank you again, Jessica. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs>